Hey, party people. Jeff Stormy here, welcoming you to Party of One Pre-Gaming, Tears of a Machine. Before we get started, let me explain exactly what you're listening to. I recently got some feedback from a few different people that some listeners wanted a little bit more context for the games we play on the show, both mechanically in terms of how the system works, and narratively in terms of the various settings in which the games we're playing take place. And while talking about this feedback with friend of the show Noah Houlihan, he came up with a great suggestion to provide a little bit additional context. A periodic mini-episode for games we're playing in which I take a little bit of time to introduce the game we're playing on an upcoming episode, explain its setting and mechanics so that people interested can learn more about the game before listening to the episode itself. And that's what Party of One Pre-Gaming is. It's a semi-regular mini-episode where I introduce the next game featured on the show and try to explain things to help you get the most out of the upcoming episode. Now, I should explain two things. One, nothing in these episodes is going to be plot-dependent. If you don't listen to the pre-gaming, you're not going to miss anything. You can just jump through the episode itself. Don't feel like you have to listen to it every week. Two, not every game is going to get an episode of pre-gaming. If I feel like it's easy enough to understand on either level, I might forego the, forego the mini-episode. And with all the explanations out of the way, let's dive into Tears of a Machine, written by Russell Collins. First, let's talk about the game's backstory. Our story begins in the midst of a decades-long global economic decline. Seemingly out of nowhere, aliens, aliens who looked and sounded just like us, but aliens nonetheless, step forward with incredible technology and set to work massively changing the world around them. They eliminated droughts and famine provided desperately needed fuel and supplies, and built massive, city-sized colonies of silver and porcelain in the world's most desolate locations. They called themselves the Legulus, Latin for gatherers. For much of the world, this universal communion, as it would be called, was an unquestioned good. We needed food, and they provided. However, bit by bit, the world's religions denounced the Legulus, culminating in a militant cult detonating bombs in several Legulus colonies, This sparked a series of military standoffs and riots across the entire globe, which then triggered the Ascension. The Legulus gathered as many followers as they could into their cities and simply left. And for a decade, the world was quiet and seemed to return to normal. Then the Legulus returned, only now they called themselves the Mazor, a bastardization of the Latin word for harvester. They launched massive asteroid ships at major cities, and on board those ships were swarms of 20-foot insectoid tanks called locusts. Entire cities were demolished, and people were abducted en masse. Humanity fired back with everything it had and forced back the locusts temporarily, but the Mazor were ready. They unleashed the Magnus. The Magnus were a hundred-foot-tall porcelain angels, burned and mutated as they entered Earth's atmosphere, Sentient robotic beings focused on one thing, wholesale, unbridled destruction. Armageddon had arrived. All hope was lost, until the Cloistered Research Council, a shadowy organization headed up by a mysterious Dr. Croys, emerged from the shadows with a new weapon, the sympathetic Android Interface, also known as the Saint. A biomechanical weapon built from the same template as a captured Magnus, Saints are living weapons, lobotomized and psychically linked to a human pilot. Every bit as powerful as a Magnus, a saint can do incredible amounts of damage, repair its own wounds, and fight back even the most powerful of threats, 
all while its pilot is kept safe and remotely secured hundreds of miles away. But the tragic twist of saint piloting is this. The only people that can pilot saints are children. By age 18, your mind is no longer compatible with the psychic link. So now, on board massive flying aircraft carriers called ARCs, children aged 12 to 17 are taken from their families, or offered up by desperate parents, raised by military officials, and trained in piloting these massive living war machines. They go about their lives as best they can, trying to achieve some sense of normality, going to school, making friends, going on dates, all while knowing that at any moment they could be dragged into a life-or-death battle with a vicious, uncaring machine with the entire fate of mankind hanging in the balance. And that is Tears of a Machine. Now, let's take a moment and talk about the mechanics. There are two kinds of roles in Tears of a Machine. There are talent roles and proficiency roles. Talent roles measure your raw, untested ability in a given area, such as intellect or coordination. When making this role, you want to roll under your given talent rating. A proficiency role is more specific and represents an area of particular training, like close quarters combat or engineering. When making a proficiency roll, you'll roll a number of dice equal to your talent score, take the highest roll from 1 to 6, add your proficiency score, and try to beat a difficulty given to you by the director. Rolling matching dice in a proficiency roll adds to your score and adds a special benefit later on. And finally, you can choose to add one of two qualities to a given roll. Ego points, which represent your character's confidence and belief in their own abilities, can be spent on any action to increase the total and help you accomplish your goals. And while piloting a saint, you can also choose to spend id points, which represent the, build, the slowly building rage and destructive power of the saint on attack and damage related roles specifically. Now how do you gain ego and id points, you may ask? Ego points you can gain in one of two ways. You can act towards solving your character's hope, which is a driving belief for a long-term goal of theirs, or you can act towards resisting your character's despair, a deep-seated fear or anxiety. Both actions will then entail some sort of a challenge, which if you overcome, at which point you get an ego point to spend later. Meanwhile, you gain id in combat by taking and healing damage, allowing your saint to indulge in its destructive nature. Now the risk uh, of having id points, they're a very powerful resource, but there's a risk if your id overpowers your ego, then your saint might go into frenzy. Its violent rage might overtake your senses, and it will regain sentience for just long enough to commit some hideous, atrocious act of violence until you can regain control over the machine. Saints are living creatures, after all, and when they take over, they are just as focused on death and destruction as a Magnus. Last but not least, I should specify the difference between a challenge, a trial, and a combat as all three come up in the episode. A challenge is a single skill roll that can, at the pilot's discretion, be tied to their hope or despair for the purpose of gaining ego points. A trial is an extended contest, a series of challenges which tests the pilot's resolve, their willingness to keep fighting and overcoming odds, as they try to overcome more complex obstacles, both combat and non-combat related. Finally, combat ap- operates slightly outside of both challenges and trials. There are four major actions that you can take in a combat round. You can engage the enemy which allows you to quickly study the enemy's weaknesses, determine the correct course of action to help avoid the enemy receiving bonuses to their combat actions. You can change your distance, 
which, for instance, if you're fighting a locust that specializes in distant, like, in, like, firearm range combat, you can move into close range to avoid giving them that bonus. You can deal an attack while in your weapon's chosen range, which which will destroy a locust and damage a magnus. Or you can take cover, which will allow you to reload your, your firearms, heal some damage, and gain id points for use later in combat. Failing any one of these four activities will allow the enemy to automatically deal damage to you. Now, that's a broad overview of the game's mechanics and backstory. Obviously, it's no substitute for buying the game and reading it yourself, but I hope that it provides some context for listening to this week's episode. Party of One Pregaming is produced by Jen Frank and Jeff Stormer and edited by Jeff Stormer. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you again later this week for Tears of a Machine by Russell Collins with Jared Axelrod from the Voice of Free Planet X. See you then, party people.